you've got something to say, do you? Yes, I certainly do. I have to go now. My planet needs me. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 292, submission number 1718, A Year at the Top. A Year at the Top aired on CBS from August 5th to September 2nd, 1977 for five episodes. Or depending where you look, it, it may have been six. It looks like there were six done. Maybe the pilot didn't air. We have a lot of conflicting information here. So even the episode titles that we're going to give, there's two totally different sets of episode titles. Who the heck knows what's going on here? This is really a tough show to pin information on. I mean, we don't even have a theme song. The only media that's out there literally is one, I think, 20-second promo. But we do have uh, evidence that this show did indeed exist and was indeed produced and reviewed and pretty much tossed aside like yesterday's garbage. Greg and Paul are rock musicians who leave their home in Boise, Idaho for Hollywood. They find Frederick J. Hanover, a promoter, who has found a lot of famous rock musicians. However, Greg and Paul learn that Hanover is the son of the devil. And in return for a year of fame and fortune, they must sign away their souls. Playing the roles of Greg and Paul are musician and actor Greg Evigan and musician and actor Paul Schaefer. Greg Evigan, of course, you know, from BJ and the Bear and My Two Dads. Paul Schaefer, of course, you know, as being Dave Letterman's comic foil. And also, we know what show spun off from BJ and the Bear. The Misadventures of Sheriff Lobo. Oh, Miss Sheriff Lobo. Now, you see, that's the second Simpsons reference uh, in like three minutes. I was going to make a reference to uh, Bart selling his soul to Milhouse. Sheriff Lobo. Yeah. Definitely. So, so, so we've, we've had a, a Homer Simpson, Sheriff Lobo reference, and we've sort of indirectly referred to when Bart sold his soul to, uh, to Milhouse. And we've also talked about Poochie. With Vince. Oh, oh my I, gosh, we've had three in like five minutes. Wait, people that like people don't know this yet because we're still celebrating Norman Lear's 100th birthday. But as we record this, hold on. Get- this is CNN breaking news. Yeah, apparently at like 4:30 today, Vince McMahon stepped down as CEO of WWE. Yeah, you know, 4:30 on a Friday. You know what that's called? You have to release this news so the stock doesn't tank. That's called a Friday night news dump. Man, how bad must those hush money payouts he gave to all those women be? I cannot tell you. 
I honestly could not tell you. Listen, don't have a bunch of like mistresses on the side and then give hush money payouts hoping that it'll go away. It doesn't. It doesn't. Okay, so back to this show, which aired in the summer of 1977, like literally right before the new season began. So you can imagine how much confidence CBS has in it. We'll talk about that later because there's actually a little story behind it. Oh, okay. Well, there is uh, the matter of the man who plays Frederick J. Hanover, a.k.a. the son of the devil. He's played by Gabriel Dell, who you would probably remember as... What would you remember him as? That's all you need to know. What would you remember him as? Oh. Oh, you know what? Remember Legends... Remember we talked about Legends of the Superheroes? He played Mordrew in both episodes. Yeah, but look at the credit below that. He voiced Boba Fett on the Star Wars Holiday Special. Previous entry the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh, and by the way, when the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special comes out later on this year, we're going to do a live watch of the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh, man, I thought you were going to say we were going to do a live watch of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, we'll do that, too. That's where I thought he was going, too. Uh, but also, we should mention, and I'm sure you know, Legends of the Superheroes, also former previous entry. Yeah, episode yep. 149. Yeah, but mostly he's known as the voice of Boba Fett in his debut performance in the Star Wars Holiday Special, to which I have to say, you don't sound like Temuera Morrison to me. Hey, you don't sound like Aquaman's dad. It's hey, you didn't thing. make it with Nicole Kidman and make a kid. Whoa, hello. <laughs> Other uh, characters on this show include Trish, played by Julie Cobb, who is known as Yeoman Leslie Thompson in a 1968 episode of Star Trek, but mostly a few of your mother's stories and one episode of Self Stalkings. Well, no, it looks like she was on a season, possibly the CBS season before it went to syndication of Charles in Charge. Wait, yeah. she was the mother on Charles in Charge? Uh, Jill Pembroke, yes. Jill Pembroke. Wait, well, well you know oh. that you oh, know no. what that means. Her oh, on screen no. husband would be Yeah. JV Widows. Widows. Yeah. yeah. I think we saw that coming. And also taking a look at her credits. She was on, looks like a week of Tattletales in 1977. And you won't believe, I don't know if this is her husband or boyfriend at the time. Actually, oh my gosh. Oh my God. You, you go into the details on IMDb and there's, uh, this paints so many pictures. When she was on Tattletales, she was on with Victor French. That was her husband at the time. And, and they actually got divorced later on in 77. But who did she marry in 1986 and then divorce in 2006? We talked about him the last episode. James Cromwell. I have questions. 
questions. Oh, oh, oh. I have questions. Oh, I thought when he went 1986, you were going to say John Shuck, and then my mind would have been totally blown. Hey. No, no, th- no, that that was uh, Nimoy. Baby that was, Nimoy. That yeah. was uh, yeah, Leonard's wife, yeah. Yes. Yeah, but, but, but yeah, Julie Cobb is both the ex-wife of Victor French and James Cromwell. <laughs> I have questions. Okay, uh, the chair recognizes Chico. Question does number this, one. Does this mean she's the ex-wife of Zephyr Cochran who discovered warp drives? And enabled humanity to go into space. Yes, I, I honestly, I have no idea what the hell you're even talking about. At least, Gre- hey, Greg's got me. Greg- That's James yeah. Cromwell's character yeah. in First Contact. Okay, all right. But also, hold on a second. I should also mention because we talked about Victor French. One of the greatest discoveries I've made is on Freebie. They have a Highway to Heaven channel. And do you know who was recently on one of the episodes on the Highway to Heaven channel? Oh. You know, I think you should all be nicer to Will Wheaton. The way I treat my colleagues... Wait, what? I said you ought to be nicer to Will Wheaton. You mean Will Wheaton? Yes, Will Wheaton. Why are you saying it like that? Well, I'm just saying you should be nicer to Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton seems like a nice guy. Say wheat. Wheat. Now, say Will Wheaton. 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 Hey, did you hook up with Whoopi Goldberg on the show? All the time. He's not wrong. Greg actually shared a picture with us. Oh, my gosh. So, so yeah, uh, Trish was played by the ex-wife of James Cromwell and Victor French. This episode just got a lot more interesting, I think. Yeah. Excuse the term, but a throwaway actress. We just, like, fell in love with her because she had two really famous ex-husbands. Basically, but how about this for a throwaway actress? Definitely not a throwaway actress, actually. Priscilla Morrill, who played Miss Forley on the show. Of course, she was known as uh, Mrs. Rizendo on three seasons of Coach, and Marion Vanderkellen on four seasons of Newhart. I believe that was uh, That's Stephanie's mom. Stephanie's mom. Yeah. Julia Duffy's character's mom, yeah. And then she played Lucille on the In a Bed of Roses episode of The Golden Girls. Or, if I'm quoting Dashiell Driscoll, the episode of The Golden Girls where Rose a stranger to death. Rose Nyland? Yep. I thought she was the clean one. That would be a Blanche thing. No. And a person to death. Nope. Rose Island was somebody's side piece, and that somebody died, and Rose had to tell the sister, and it turned out to be his wife. There was a very special episode about this on YouTube. Uh oh. What? I'm sorry. I thought Rose Island was just this innocent, naive woman, and she was somebody's side piece. Ooh, yeah. And another interesting role I just found, she played Sister Lillian in nine episodes of Future Entry in the beginning with McLean Stevenson. If only we had footage of in the beginning. Oh, well. 
if anything, this episode gives us more of a reason to do in the beginning than before because we don't well did our friend Adam need have found an interesting fact about in the beginning I don't know I'll ask him well we have to ask Adam I know he found like something from in the beginning in the preview episodes that he had an astute observation on which I will not share here because Adam knows Adam knows Okay. Adam, if you're listening, I know. <laughs> and rounding out the cast as Grandma Belle Durbin, which is apparently the uh, grandmother of either Greg or Paul. Mike, put your pants back on. Nedra Voles. How did you know they're off? Lucky guess. Anyway. <laughs> you said Nedra Voles' name wrong, you ass. Okay, I'll, I'll try that again. Mike, put your pants back on. They already went back on when you called her Nedra Voles. Nedra Voles. Oh, they just came off. Put your, put your pants back on. And, and really, what do we need to say about Nedra Voles? A vengeful Hall of Famer. And damn it, I will make sure she gets in the Hall of Fame. Seriously, what has it been said about Nedra Voles at this point? She made Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. My ass, she made Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. Oh. Well, who did? Leonard Fry? Yes, he did. Yes. No, no, you're both wrong. You're both wrong. It was Brian Stokes Mitchell wearing a stalk of celery like he was the fifth doctor. That's what made the Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. I will, I will entertain. No follow-up questions. Well, okay, then. I, I think we need to look at some episodes. Even though, really, we don't have any semblance of an episode guide. There's nothing on IMDb. There's nothing on Wikipedia. I've gone through my sources. I couldn't find a thing. Jaco, did you find anything on, like, TV.com or something like that? I didn't find anything on TV.com. I didn't find anything on FGuides.com. The closest I found was uh, two episodes on LostMediaWiki.com. Well, that's better than nothing. But I mean, even when I look at Wikipedia versus IMDb in terms of episode titles, they're a different set of episode titles. I don't even see anything that matches except pilot. Because duh. Because duh. An interesting thing about the pilot which either aired or didn't air, depending on your market. You know what the original premise of the show was? It was going to be a trio of performers who sold their soul to the devil for a year of success. And rounding out that trio was Mickey Rooney. That pilot did not make air, but he did make the pilot in this show. And actually, that explains why IMDb has six episodes and uh, Wiki has five because of the unaired pilot. And actually, I got a little bit more information about that unaired pilot. So, yeah, instead of being about two uh, performers, it was about three. And those three performers uh, strike a deal with the devil uh, for both youth and also a year at the top of the music industry. And it was supposed to start January 19th of 77 
at 8.30 on CBS. Uh, then the premiere was set for January 26th. And uh, actually on January 10th, this is from an article on January 11th, production was shut down for quote unquote alterations with uh, the production set to resume uh, in March for a debut in the fall. And uh, in addition to Mickey Rooney, uh, some of the other names that were in this pilot, Robert Alda, who we've talked about quite a bit, and actually second episode in a row, we're mentioning this name, Phil Leeds. So Mickey Rooney would return for the pilot to this show as Uncle Mickey Durbin. It would be the uh, Deidre Bowles role, but uh, it would actually obviously be his uncle instead of his nana. And this would be perhaps the episode where they move from Idaho to make it big in the music business in Los Angeles, only to uh, sell their soul to the devil. And in this episode, we have a couple of names. Uh, first one is Priscilla Lopez, who you would remember from Be Positive and Made in Manhattan as Linda. As Billy Worthy, we have somebody we may talk about in the future, Tim Thomerson. We talked about Tim Thomerson. Well, we talked, yeah, we talked about him before, but we may talk about him again in the future. Because if I'm not mistaken, he was in, oh God, he was in so many. He was in Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Remember that? And he was on at least one week of Match Game Hollywood Scores Out. Well, we know yep. that, yes. Well, I know, and, I know that. Yeah, I know you know that. Yep. And he played Gene or Gene in Pork, the Transmute Navigator. By the way, 13 Week Theater has a really good feature on Pork. And I'm going to throw out one more name. Starring as a desperate man, maybe okay. starring isn't the best word to use. Robert Starr, I mentioned him for two reasons. One, he was on an episode of Wings in 1995. Wait a minute. Hold up a second. He was on an episode of Wings. Yes, guys, guys. In 1995. Uh, uh, hold on. Hold on. I have to get myself ready for this. Feel- Why would you be getting of- ready? Because I have a feeling I'm going to hear some. Well, this is going to be a story because you've never heard this before. This is some earth shattering. I'm about to hear. Hey, hey, hey Chico, get uh, the other folks uh, in the uh, the condo for this. Okay, they, they, oh, hold on. They, yeah. Joe, JD, get in here. Not, not, not many of you know this, but I'm actually. I have an important ready. announcement to make, guys. Joe, J- Joe JD. If you guys can hear me, you want to get in here? I have Greg, an imp- has, Greg has an important announcement to me. I'm switching. Oh, I'm switching my uh, Zoom. It's I'm a big announcement. I'm switching my Zoom audio, so everybody. Oh yeah! By the it. way, Chico's in Vegas. For those of you who have been wondering, why is it sounds so acousticy with Chico's background? That's why he's in Vegas. I am in Vegas. It's like Greg has. An announcement to make, and I'm going to go ahead and put it speaker here. Yeah, all of Vegas needs to hear this. Y- y'all need to hear this. Go this ahead. is a go for it. This is an announcement I've never told a single person about this, but I'm finally ready to announce it to everybody. Okay, 
All right. Are you ready? This is very tough for me to say, but I'm going to finally admit it. I love wings. Did you all know that I love wings? <laughs> I heard him in the background. <laughs> and you know why I love wings? It made Tony Shalhoub's career. Oh my gosh. Whenever you watch the Marvelous Miss Myself, remember it made Tony Shalhoub's career. Wings. Damn right it do. That's why he's on Marvel's Miss Maisel, and that's why he's are, making the big guys, money. Aren't you guys shocked? My oh, man. Wow. Joe? He's speechless. <laughs> and by the way, did you know I love Rachel Brosnan, too? Well, everyone does, but I just thought I'd mention that along with me loving wings. Okay. Oh, I said uh, there are two things I want to mention. There is actually three things now. Thank you, Greg. You off now. Okay, yeah, so yeah, I'll, so, I'll, I'll get you when I'm done. I'll get you when I'm done. Okay, so, so he was on, as I mentioned, an episode of Wings in 1995. Greg, you magnificent bastard! <laughs> <laughs> this is even better than the uh, Herb Abrams bit with Kiesla. That's all. <laughs> This is great. Oh, Jason, do you know about Herb Abrams? He died. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's, he's gone. gone. He's gone. Oh, I, he's damn gone. it. He's gone. Damn it. <laughs> this is all okay. staying, by the way. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, okay. So I originally said that there were two things I wanted to mention about uh, Robert Starr. Because of Greg, now there's three because I was able to do a little bit of research. So, yes, he was on a 1995 episode of Wings. Yes, and also... He was on the pilot to Misfits of Science. Yes, he uh, was. Yeah, and, and that's actually the, the revelation I had uh, while Greg uh, was declaring his love for Wings. But even, I don't know if necessarily bigger, but I'm making a connection here. He was in Airplane in 1980. He played religious zealot number five. And you're saying, why are you bringing this up? Is that the scene where uh, Robert Steck's beating up all those people in the airport? Yes. But th that's not the reason I mentioned uh, the connection to Airplane. This is Religious Zealot number five. Do you know who played Religious Zealot number one? Who? The guy who took out that guy's knee on Few. Greg Itzen. Oh, oh we god damn it. I didn't, no. I didn't know Gregory Itzen was an airplane. Yeah, Gregory Hansen is one of the... Uh, but the people Robert Stack beats up? I don't hey. know if he beats him up, but he at least like gives a, a flower or a pamphlet to somebody. I guess, yeah. you know what? I guess, I, you know what? I bet Robert Stack saw that episode and wanted his piece. So those are the three reasons I brought up uh, Robert Starr. Uh, not really noteworthy otherwise, but Wings, Misfit Science uh, Pilot, and he was a religious zealot on airplane, along with Gregory Itzen. Right. Well, the pilot that did make it to air was, uh, it aired on August 5th, 1977, The Big Deal. And we didn't have the Mickey Rudy character, but we had Nitra Bowles as Grandma Belle Durbin. So they sort of did a whole gender flip sort of situation on that. But aside from that, it's basically the same premise. 
so it, it may be, I'm guessing it's sort of like uh, get a life in the sense that maybe the pilot that was done for in like early January or late 76, maybe it was the same pilot, but just with different characters, maybe a little bit of rewriting, reshooting. Cause again, as I mentioned earlier, they did stop production in early January of 77 slated to resume in March. And even that I don't think uh, necessarily took off. Right. And as I said earlier, all we have is episode titles. And even from this point forward, we've got different episode titles of the five episodes. For example, episode two, IMDB says it's called The Handshake, and Wikipedia says it's called The Contracts. Boy, I wonder what that's about. Handshake and Contracts. Well, I have it here from LostMediaWiki.com. Oh, good. Damn buzzing. Okay. Oh, that, that was... Uh, Jose that was your new Genics? You saw Julie Cobb. What no, 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 Greg, Greg. Uh, this, this is my, my diabetes monitor. I, oh, I have okay. To keep it on. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it, it, it beeps whenever I, I go over a certain level, and apparently the cauliflower pushed it over that level. And I can't turn it off. Oh, damn it. It more yes. funny if it was new Genics. Okay. Woo! Uh, <laughs> What, what's that, Mike? It's not New Jacks. I'm not aroused by Greg Evigan. I'm sorry. aroused by Julie Cobb. Oh, sorry. Need your voles. Get it right. So, either the handshake or the contract, the episode is Greg and Paul are shocked to learn that Hanover's precious clients were only successful for a year. That's it. I'm kind of not surprised because this premise was actually played out on an episode of Married with Children and its final season where Al Bundy sells his soul to the devil so he could play for the Chicago Bears and get them to a Super Bowl. They get to the Super Bowl, but the stipulation is, as I said, he wanted to get the Bears to the Super Bowl. He didn't say he wanted the Bears to win the Super Bowl. So he lost all his powers. He's back to being a 50-year-old man at the uh, uh, the conclusion of the episode, and he's getting his butt handed to him eight ways to Sunday. So it's not like it's a necessarily new premise, if you will. Now, the whole series is, you know, one giant exercise in Faustian bargains and being extremely careful what you wish for. And episode three, uh, IMDb has it as Identity Crisis. Wikipedia has it as Tightrope. According to Lost Media Wiki, Paul and Greg struggle to retain focus. So I guess they're going to try and, you know, make this year for what it's worth and try and at least beat the devil in his own game. Good luck with that, huh? Episode four, love story. Wait, is this going to have Ryan O'Neill and Ally McGraw in it? No. Oh. With the ultimate title off of Wikipedia, The Visits. Yeah. Again, not much known about this episode. I'm guessing one of them falls in love because their girlfriend or ex-girlfriend or somebody they care about is visiting. 
I mean, it makes sense. Love story, the visits. Okay. There's visiting apparently and love story. So it's gotta be someone falls head over heels in love. Gotta be something like that. Gotta be something like that. And episode five, the sun also rises or gray is beautiful. Depending on what source you're taking from. I'm guessing, I don't know, somebody notices a gray hair or something. I don't know what this uh, episode is about. And it has not shown up in any of the research that we all did. So, yeah, a whole lot of research for not a lot of content. At least not for the episodes themselves. The show, on the other hand, had a pretty interesting story. And we went over bits and pieces of it as we were talking about the episodes. Uh, The show was created by a writer for our previous entry from Monday, Haywood Kling. And it was produced by Norman Lear and Don Kirshner. Who we've talked about previously on, and I'm sorry, Greg, I love this series, Musical Chairs. You see Greg what I'm doing? Like musical chairs. You see what I'm doing? I'm doing the Yankees thumbs down guy pose. It's like, well, well, everybody's got an opinion. I respect that. It's like, just, Greg it's just, does not like musical chairs. I just thought it was boring. He loves Adam Wade, though. Who doesn't? It's Adam Wade. And also, I'm Don Kirshner. Welcome to Rock Concert. I had to throw that in there. So, a mastermind of television, a mastermind of televised music, get together and make a televised musical series. That doesn't really hit anywhere, does it? In fact, I managed to scrounge up an article here from the Washington Post around the time this show was released. Let's see what I can what I can uh, suss from Tom Shales here. Like the old Warner Brothers musicals of the 30s, a year at the top premiering on CBS tonight gets much of its energy and its excuse for charm from the combined talents of young upstarts and old fogies in the cast. Year has taken at least two years to go from concept stage to the air, if not the top and its premise. The devil trading souls for fame hasn't been what you call fresh in 20 years, but the show still has vitality and friendly clownishness that makes Cummings, like finding a Dairy Queen in Death Valley. Unfortunately, for all concerned, Mickey Rooney stars only in tonight's two shows, The taped inserts of him have been added to later ones. These were taped about six months ago after the year had already gone through several incarnations and was heading for more. The property is a checkered striped and polka-dotted history. Two years ago at noon on Thanksgiving Day, NBC showed a pilot version called The Hereafter. It was about a bunch of old-timers who sold their souls to become flashes in the great pan of rock and roll. A spokesman for Norm Lear said, nobody saw that show but Norman. After all that, you might expect the perfected gem. Don't. The Edsel must have gone through rewrites too, but Year, 
which is now about a pair of kids who sell their souls for 12 months of fame, has enough going to make it a likely as a replacement for a CBS flop to come. Some viewers may object to Gabriel Dell's flamboyant swishiness of the part of the devil's son, but he has such a good time pronouncing Boise as Boise that he's pretty hard to resist. It's a superb and sustained fame characterization. The two boys who go for ultimate broke are played by Greg Evigan and Paul Schaefer, but they're both unstaged in the opener by Priscilla Lopez of Chorus Line Columns as a brassy Broadway babe in arms. Lopez, like Rudy, went on to other commitments after taping the pilot, and her character will be replaced in future shows. Though Rudy is making a movie in Canada and will be based out of the show, his replacement offers great hope. Nitra Bowles, 63, appears as Rudy's mother on tonight's show and will assume his role as exorcist when he leaves. Nitra Bowles as an exorcist. Good as Years the Top pretty much is, it remains perturbing that its past problems couldn't have been worked out at the script stage. As usual, it's a little astonishing how many people share credit for such elemental inspiration. The show was created by Woody Kling, developed by Norman Lear, produced by Daryl Hickman, and the rock segments were developed in association with Don Kushner. Somehow, too many cooks have managed to come up with an appetizing broth. You know what? Tom Shales is one of the great TV critics of our time. But even Tom Shales gets it wrong once or twice. Because, uh, Mike, do do we have ratings for this show? The only thing I have is in a passing mention, uh, not even related to uh, this show, it mentions that, I forget what was at the top of the ratings, but it said that dead last was a year at the top. And if you're dead last in the ratings, yeah, you're not going to last more than those initial five shows. And really... Yeah, you look at this, it premiered in August of 77. If that doesn't say burn off, what does? Unless, you know, the burn off happens to produce good ratings. But yeah, I mean, literally one of the articles said that the previous week's episode was the worst rated show on television that week. So yeah, your time is is very limited. Yeah, this was actually supposed to be aired in January, like you said. But it was ultimately swept under until August. So my guess is CBS looked at what they saw in January, which was five episodes. And these were the five episodes. They still had a contractual obligation to Lear. They aired the five episodes, but they aired them in a way that it would not damage the network. It would not damage anyone's careers. And they would basically still be contractually obligated to air those episodes no i'm going to disagree with you because remember we just talked about the pilot back in january and uh, at that point norman lear said it wasn't ready to be put on television so this is definitely not a cbs thing they didn't do five episodes they did a pilot but it had to be retinkered. and as i mentioned earlier they were looking at re uh, starting it or re-recording it in march 
So by no means did they have any of the five episodes done at that point. It looks like it was just like a, a pilot to start maybe. But I do have a, 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 an article here. This is actually a part of an article by William Hickey, uh, another television critic, talking about summer of 77 TV shows. Uh, starting in the second paragraph of this article, a year at the top is the latest Norman Lear effort and is something of a departure for that man of comedy in that this show tries to combine music with laughs, a musical sitcom, if you will. The new CBS TV miniseries, that might say something right there too. It says miniseries. It doesn't say a full-fledged series, just miniseries. The new CBS TV miniseries features two youthful songwriter singers played by Greg Evigan and Paul Schaefer who are tempted by the son of Satan to exchange their souls for superstardom on the musical stage. Satan Jr. is overplayed by Gabe Dell, a one-time dead-end kid. Mickey Rooney has the role of their uncle and father confessor, and presumably he will attempt to stave off Satan Jr.'s devilish plans. Priscilla Lopez of Chorus Line fame plays Greg's girlfriend and joins Rooney, the good, in his angelic scheming. In its first outing, the network combined the first two episodes, which only added to the general confusion of the plot line, but then it will hardly matter in the long run. In fact, if CBS TV schedules this show into its regular lineup, it will only go to prove that the network is desperate for replacement shows. Actually, it wasn't a dreadful show, but rather one that is definitely ho-hum. The script was workable in parts, but the musical segments were better, which isn't saying a whole lot other than that the two young men possess charisma. This was the show that was slotted into CBS TV's primetime schedule last year, but was yanked off by Lear himself. He said at the time that he didn't feel it was ready for weekly play. I've got news for Norman. It still isn't ready. Yeah. So it looks like that they wanted this to possibly air as early as, I'm guessing, fall 76, but Lear pulled it. And then, again, we talked about January. They did the pilot, and production stopped in January, slated to resume in March. It seems like it was a good idea to sort of maybe half-baked. Yeah, it wasn't all the way there. But there was a bit of a legacy on this show. Greg Evigan and Paul Schaefer did release an album with songs from the show. But also related, the theme music was released uh, commercially. Problem is it's not out there. Uh, But the theme music, one of the composers, not surprising at all, Paul Schaefer. Not a shock. Uh, Actually, uh, fun fact, it's time for Chico's Nito Fact of the Day. Paul Schaefer wrote the theme music to this show. Greg Evigan sang it. That's a fun fact. That's a fun fact. Oh, neat! That's really the only uh, lasting legacy of this show. And frankly, nobody's career was harmed by this. Greg Evigan, of course, would be one of the My Two Dads. Paul Schaefer, of course, would be the leader of the world's most dangerous band slash the CBS orchestra. Julie Cobb would be James Widows' wife. Nidra Bowles would be, come on, she's Nidra Bowles. 
And people are still selling their souls to the devil for televised fame to this day. I mean, Faustian bargains, not a new concept, but it did make for a very interesting thing on TV. Why do you make it sound like we're done with the show? Is there anything else to talk about this show? Because I am all ears. Yeah, play the music. All right, I got two items. Ooh, two items. Greg, I'm going to ask you, do you want the left hand or the right hand? The right hand. You want the right hand? Okay. So the uh, left hand was a script from A Year at the Top, The Big Deal Part 2. Uh, so that was the second half hour of the, uh, the hour-long premiere episode. And uh, if you're actually genuinely curious, that was $44.99. But what we're playing for now how about the album A Year at the Top? The full Ooh. album, not the, the 45. Oh, yes. The full okay. album. With This is the, this is Greg Evigan and Paul Schaefer on the full album. This is what yes. I always and, wanted. Greg Evigan and Paul Schaefer in one album. And, and, and this, uh, you're so enthusiastic, Greg. And this is by Greg and Paul, and the title is A Year at the Top. And just a little bit about the item. Uh, it's vinyl, obviously, as you'd probably expect. Uh, artist's name is Greg Evigan, Paul Schaefer. Title is A Year at the Top. Condition used. Cover is actually graded an excellent between very good and M minus, probably near mint. Let's say that. Media condition is near mint. The disc is nearly perfect. It may have been played a few times. It should play perfectly. Sleeve condition is very good plus. And we have a list of the tracks here. She's a rebel. Like a rising star, give me more. We've come so far. A year at the top, which I'm going to assume is the theme song, possibly. Especially since it's only 56 seconds long and not two to three minutes like everything else. We're lovers after all. Good time, girl. Sweet love. Love just comes and goes. And you are the one. So we'll do this in dollars and cents. And uh, Greg selected the item, so I'm going to go with Chico first. And this is a buy it now. It's an active buy it now. So if you want it, you can head over to eBay right now and snag it. $69. Nice, Greg. (laughs) $71. Oh my gosh, you are way over. Oh, like, you're, you're, oh, you're, you're, oh, you're, you're over. You're, you're, you're over. Let's, I should have said you're over, but you're way over. Okay. Okay. So, so uh, the $69 is the, the lowest bid. $42. Greg? $44. You're still over. <sighs> oh, for the love of. Okay. Chico, let's try it again. All right. I need about $350. 350, okay. I need about 350. All right, Greg. Five bucks. You know, when I said you guys are way over, I didn't think you'd drop it by 20 bucks or so. 
Uh, this is yours if you want to buy it now. $18.49. Hmm. Well. And actually, if I take a look at this, I need to use my magnifying glass tool, but I believe this has the original price stickers on it. Oh, are we going to do the not eBay prices right with the original price no, sticker? No, 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 I was just going to give you a comparison. Oh, okay. I don't know. I, I see two prices here. I don't know if one is like uh, uh, retail MSRP and the other's uh, the price it was selling at in the store. But I see a $6.98 and then below it is $4.80. So it oh. looks like you could have this for $5 back in the day or under $5. So yeah, $18.49. I'm actually tempted. I'm tempted. I mean, how many of these are out there, do you think? Probably not I a lot. don't know. I, I'm really tempted to, to take a chance at this so we can hear the theme song. But also, really, how often have we heard Paul Schaefer singing in a non-Letterman sort of format in terms of him doing his little vamping and whatnot between segments? He doesn't sing all that much. No. And also, this is 77, right? This is 77, so this yeah. is when he was on SNL. Yeah, yeah, with Howard Shore, yeah. Oh, by the way, speaking of Howard Shore, he's doing the music for the Lord of the Rings Amazon series that's coming out. They just announced that, because he did the music for the movies, obviously. So, I'm very tempted to buy this, just because I have a... Uh... A, a turntable downstairs that uh, one of my exes gave me and I think it can hook up to a computer so I could record mp3s and stuff like that that might be an experiment maybe that's the one good thing that x gave me is, is that that turntable that maybe if I hook it up we'll be able to get something from this show and this might be music from the show I mean we, I mentioned the theme but this may be actual music from the show I'm saying. Who knows? Maybe, possibly. And actually, if you go on eBay, I am surprised by how many photos they have for sale from this show. I'm not even joking. Just taking a, a quick look at this, there's 36 uh, results, active results for a year at the top in quotes. And if I'm making a guess between ads and press photos and uh, uh, other types of advertising media, photos and you know, paper material and stuff, not counting the script, not counting the record. There must be about 30 different types of, of photos or, or ads or whatnot for this show, for something that lasted five weeks. I think that's pretty amazing. So yeah, if you want to get all your Mickey Rooney and Paul Schaefer and Greg Evigan photos from a year at the top, they're like 15, 20 bucks a piece, but knock your socks off. And one more thing I want to talk about before we call it a show, the schedule. Because, you know, where was it airing? What did it go up against? Uh, I can tell you this. It did air on Sunday nights on CBS at 830 and actually, it's lead-ins, two very good ones. I mean, obviously, uh, 60 Minutes started the evening, like it has for 50 years, it seems. 
And then at eight was Rhoda. And this would have been the third season of Rhoda, the fourth season. It wasn't the last season, I don't think. So Rhoda still had at least a year or two left. But then uh, the competition on ABC, and this, I think, would have been the first season of this show. The second half hour of The Six Million Dollar Man. That'll do it. That'll do it all day. If that doesn't do it, this might. I believe at this point on NBC was the mystery movie of the week. Because there was a 90-minute McLeod. But also, if it's the mystery movie of the week, then you've got Columbo in that mix. So, yeah, not good when you're going up against uh, Lee Majors and one of the big shows of 1976 and the mystery movie of the week. And as a reminder, this was during the summer, so it would be up against reruns of said shows, which still commanded an audience, as evidenced by the fact that this episode, uh, or at least one episode of A Year at the Top, placed dead last. Uh, and also about McLeod, this would have actually been the last season. Uh, actually, at this point, it would have been in reruns. McLeod ended in April of 77, so it was in reruns at that point. But also, Greg, just doing some quick research, you won't believe who uh, was one of the stars of McLeod in the final two seasons. Okay, tell me. Dinah Moldar. Um. Oh... Oh. oh no! Have we fixed the elevator yet? I really don't want to talk about it. Ah! Oh. oh my god! <laughs> I guess that's a no. Okay. <laughs> I guess that's a no. Okay. But yeah, uh, so it was going up against uh, whatever mystery movie NBC was showing, whether it was. Uh, Lanigan's Rabbi, Quincy, early on before it became a full-fledged series, uh, Columbo, McLeod. McMillan? McMillan? Uh, It looks like, yeah, McMillan, I think, would have ended around this time because it looks like the mystery movie ended in 77, and I believe that's when McMillan and Wife ended, too. Ah. Oh, 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 hold on. I got okay. a joke. Do you know what Susan St. James' reaction to the cancellation of McMillan and Wife was? Get it out of your what? system. Get it out of your system. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That was her reaction when they found out they were killing her character and McMillan was going to spend the next season by himself. And also, since we're talking about McMillan Wife, if you get cozy... They show, I think, two episodes of Macmillan and Wife every Saturday. Or maybe it's one on Saturday and one on Sunday. But if you need your Susan fix, go to Cozy. It's like, I think, Saturday afternoons or Saturday at noon. They show Macmillan and Wife. Plus, also, not only do you get your Susan fix, you get your John Shuck fix. I knew you guys would enjoy that. Everyone loves John Shuck. Yeah, in fact... I'm going to try an experiment. John Shuck. (laughs) 
There you go. One last thing before we go, a quickie correction. When I was talking about Car 54, Where Are You, on Monday's episode, I mentioned uh, Ed Gwynn. I meant Fred Gwynn. I think I got Fred Gwynn and Ed Wynn mixed up. Sorry about that. Uh, we have all of John Shuck's episodes. Shuckapalooza! Uh, over at It Was A Thing On TV.com with the rest of our episodes. We're getting close to 300, and we have some planned for 300. I think, we're gonna, I think you're going to enjoy it. But in the meantime, you have to get there. And part of getting there is revisiting a show that we talked about early on the podcast, but we only glanced over it uh, as part of a bigger subject. We'll talk about the episodes and the TV show in full next Monday. And then, because baseball, and also because reboots, we're going to talk about a TV show about baseball that is having a reboot. Oh, yes. It's coming soon to Prime Video, as a matter of fact. Yep. And I can't wait for it, to be honest. I, I know you can't, but in the meantime, you can follow us on all social media at It Was A Thing On TV, except for Facebook, where we are at It Was A Thing On TV podcast. And of course, we're also on the Place to Be Nation. We talked about that on Monday. And we're also on the YouTube. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share our videos, hit that notification bell. <laughs> and you will stay up to date with all of our subjects, including the ones we just mentioned, which are coming next week right here on It Was a Thing on TV. Thank you for listening, for Mike, for Greg. I'm Chico. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. Wow! Greg falls for the beautiful Kelly Christopher. She loves me. But she too has a deal with the devil. Please, midnight. Bye bye time. A year at the top. Sunday at 8 30, 7 30, Central and Mountain.